This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, today we are discussing Shmuel Hanavi, Samuel the prophet, who is one of the, the last, actually he's the last judge of Israel. He was the last shofet, the last judge of Israel before the period of kings, before the period of kings start. So Samuel, Shmuel Hanavi is the last prophet who is a judge the last of the Shoftim, before the period of kings, which he is about to start. He is the one who starts the period of kings, somewhat unwillingly, but it's very interesting. There's a very important idea about Shmuel and Avi, not enough people talk about. But let's go first and compare Shmuel and Avi with our last week's topic of Samson of Shimshon. It's interesting how they both their names start with Shinmem, which means Shem, which literally is God's name, right? Shem is the name. We say Baruch Hashem, thank God, thank the name. So both their names start with Shem, with Shin Mem, who is also the son of Noah. So their lives basically revolve around the name, around God. Their lives are to perpetuate God in this world by strengthening his nation physically and spiritually. That was the life of Samson and Shmuel. We're going to compare a little bit about them in their early years. So there's a lot of similarities in the stories when they both start. So first of all, when it talks about Samson, it says, There was one man from a place called Sirach, whose name was Manoah, who was the, who was the father of Samson. When it talks about introducing Samuel, it says, He's the similar language. There was a certain man in a certain sort of place, and his name was so-and-so. So both stories start with the names of their fathers. Interesting. And number two is, it says, when, when uh, Samson's mother gets instructions from the angel, don't cut his hair. He will be a Nazarite from birth. And similarly, when Hannah dedicates Sam, Sam, Samuel to God, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, dedicates him to God, she says that no blade will touch his hair. He's going to be a Nazarite. They're both going to be Nazarites. And uh, thirdly, it says, by uh, Samson, by Dal Hanar, the boy grew up, by Baruch Hashem, and Hashem blessed him. And by Samuel, it says, by Dahanar Shuel im Hashem. The boy grew up with Hashem. Even more than blessed by Hashem, he was, grew up with Hashem. So it's interesting, the comparisons between Samson and Samuel. Furthermore, it's uh, both the mothers are dominant. In both stories, the mothers are dominant. Samson's mother, whose name was Slalponit, was dominant in the story. She tells her husband Manoach what to do. And also Samuel's mother, Hannah, was dominant in the story. She's the one who's pushing Hashem. She's pleading with Hashem for a son. And her husband, Elkanah, told her, you're better to me than 10 sons. I don't need a son. You're better to me. I, lo- I love you more than the 10 sons. So again, they're both the mothers were dominant in the family. Whereas Samson's mother was passive. Samuel's mother was active. What does that mean? Samson's mother was given, it doesn't say that she prayed for a son. She just sees the angel 
and the angel uh, tells her you're going to have a son. So Samson's mother was passive. She never prayed. Whereas Samuel's mother, Shmuel Hanavi's mother, was active. She was praying all the time. She was praying nonstop for a child. So there is differences between the two stories. Similarly, while Samson's mother was commanded that Samuel, uh, Samson will be a Nazarite and he won't, have, he won't be able to cut his hair, he's not allowed to cut his hair, Samuel's mother, Shmuel's mother, Hannah, offered to God that I will raise him as a Nazarite. When she wasn't commanded, she offered it. So she was proactive, whereas Samson's mother was uh, passive. So they're both Nazarites. Interesting, they're both commanded not to, they're both told not to cut their hair. One was told by the angel, one was told by his mother not to cut his hair. Their enemies in both cases were the Pelishtim, the Philistines. The Pelishtim were enemies of Samson and the enemies of Samuel. And they both, it's interesting, their leadership styles were totally different, com completely different. Samson did not get the people involved in his antics. He did not get the people involved in the fight with the British team. He was a one-man army, as we talked about last week. He was a one-man band. He fought the British team all by himself with his massive strength, with his great, his gura, his might. He fought the Finnish team all by himself. He didn't want to get the people involved so that the Finnish team would not take vengeance on the people. So in a sense, he was protective of the people knowing they were weak. The Finnish team could walk all over them, could control them, and therefore he saved the, the people by not getting the people involved. He fought the Finnish team single-handedly. Whereas Shur Hanavi encourages the people and he is the one who gathers the people together to fight the battle against the Philistines. So totally different leadership styles. And that's a very important point. And uh, so that's basically the differences and comparisons between Samson and Shmuel. It's interesting. So I'm going to start off with, I'm going to, I'm going to skip the part of Hannah and pray to God. We had a whole class on Hannah, how she prayed. What's interesting is the Gemara says she was the first person in the world that referred to Hashem as Sevakot, God of the armies, God of the legions. It's interesting. So the Gemara says that she is the first one who prayed to God using this word Sevakot, Hashem Sevakot, God, the leader of the armies. The armies of who? Armies. His armies. Who is his armies? Who is God's armies? We are. The Jewish people are God's armies. And she said, Hashem, you created so many people. Would it change your plan if you give me a child and create one more child? So you create so many armies of people. You create the armies of people. Please give me a child as well. So very important point. She, Hannah was the first one to refer. Hannah Shmuel's mother was the first one to refer to God as Svakot, God of the hosts or God of the armies. That's Hashem. Hashem is God of the armies. He created a multitude of people. She said you could create a multiple of people. Why can't you create a child for me? So that was one of her arguments. It's interesting. She was one of the first to refer to Hashem. She was the first. as Hashem Tzvakot that we use in our prayers as well till today. So interesting. So I'm going to move on from the time that Shmuel was dedicated by Hannah. So Hannah prayed to God. And she prays to God. We said before that one of the prayers that is always answered is if you pray to God, and make the prayer into a prayer for God. What does that mean? 
I mean, say a person says, you know, God, please give me some money so I can serve you better. This money is not for me, it's for you. So I can give more tzedakah. I can send my children to yeshiva. I can do lots of goodness with this uh, money. That is now becomes a prayer, not just for oneself. It becomes a prayer for God as well. So by including God in the prayer, the prayer is more likely to be answered. It's one of the big interesting uh, tricks to get one's prayers answered, to make a God part of the prayer. So please, Hashem, give me a child for him to serve you. That's her prayer. Hannah's prayer was, you give me a child, I'm going to dedicate this child to you. I'm going to dedicate this child to serve you. And that almost ensured that a prayer would be answered so that she kept the bargain. And when Shmuel was only three years old, she brings him to the, the Mishkan in Shiloh. The Mishkan was the portable sanctuary that was not so portable. And Shiloh is actually built. They built a wall around it and they just used the roof of the Mishkan, the uh, leather roof, which was part of the Mishkan. And uh, they, dedicate, they uh, dedicated Shmuel to God. She brought Shmuel, the little boy, three years old, to uh, the Mishkan, where the prophet and the, and the, and the Kohen Eli, Eli HaKohen, was the high priest. And she gives him over to Eli HaKohen to, to, to serve in the, in the temple, in the Mishkan, in Shiloh. So Shmuel, imagine a three-year-old, you now is dedicating his life, his service of God, in the Mishkan. He's a Levi, and the Leviim had different uh, obligations. They were the guards of the Mishkan. Obviously, Shmuel did guard duty at the Mishkan. He slept outside, guarding the walls and the gates of the Mishkan from a very early age. And his job was also to help the Kohen by schlepping, by moving things around for the Kohen in the Mishkan. And number three is that the Leviim were the, were the musicians in the Mishkan. They would sing and they would perform on instruments. So we don't have any records of, of Shmuel doing this. We do have records of Shmuel um, serving Eli by guarding the Mishkan and other odds and ends, whatever Eli needed. So whatever the Kohen needed, Shmuel would do. So Shmuel is dedicated to the Mishkan at the age of three. That's where we pick up the story. And Shmuel, Misharet, and Pane Hashem. Shmuel was serving God. And he was a Nahar Hagur Efod Bad. His mother made for him a very Kohen-like garment, like a very a white a linen garment for him to serve God. So it's interesting. So he was a Levi, and he was serving God in the Mishkan. And he was dedicating his life to God. And every year she would bring him a new garment. And uh, when she came to the Mishkan, she would bring her son Shmuel, Imagine seeing your son for one or two days a year. It's amazing. Three days a year, four days a year. She would come to the Mishkan, see her son, bring him new clothes, new change of clothes, and uh, say hello, and kiss him, and bless him, and hug him, and, and say goodbye. And Eli, the high priest, gave uh, Hannah and her husband a bracha that Elkanah will be blessed with more children from Hannah just like Shmuel, obviously she had more children, she had five children altogether, but none of them could compare to Shmuel Hanavi, who was extra special, totally devoted to God, very spiritual individual, no one can compare to Shmuel. So we're going to talk a bit about that, how Shmuel was dedicated at his early age, and then it says, so Eli was already old when Shmuel came on the scene, the Eli zaken me'od, and Eli was very old, 
the, the story goes, he was very old and his sons were terrible. He wanted his sons to follow in his path. As usual, it's very, very hard for great people to have great children. It's a very hard process for the children to follow in their parents' footsteps. So Eli wanted his sons, Hofni and Pinchas, to follow in his footsteps. However, the Tanakh gives them a very bad rap and uh, different opinions among the rabbis. Was it really so? Were they really that bad? Were they not that bad? But Hashem is determined to wipe them out. They're so bad that Hashem is going to wipe them out, the son of Eli. And he's also going to wipe out the progeny of Eli at very early ages. So it says, the Talmud says that that any any descendants of Eli would always die at 20 years old. They would die by the age of 20. They were dead. Unless they were involved in chesed, doing acts of kindness, or learning Torah. So they learned Torah or did acts of kindness, their lives were prolonged. This was one of the curses that Eli got. Unfortunately, he was a Sadiq, but he, because he didn't rebuke his children enough, that uh, Hashem says, that's it. Your, your uh, line is going to be ended. There's going to be a new line of high priests, which are going to come from Sadok, Sadok HaKohen, as opposed to Eli HaKohen, had his own line, and the line is going to be moved to Sadok. And that's, again, that's one of the things that Shmuel was involved with. And we hear that we have a beautiful story in the story of Shmuel. The first prophecy that Shmuel got, he was a very young boy. He was still a very young boy. And Eli was getting old. Eli was going blind. And Eli heard the message from God that his line is going to be ended. And his two sons are not going to serve after him. And then the same night, Shmuel Hanavi becomes a prophet. That same night, Shmuel, the young boy, imagine, young boy sleeping in his bed. He was sleeping just outside the Mishkan. We said he was on guard duty. And he hears a voice. Very, very scary for a little kid here. He's sleeping and he hears a voice. And he thinks, he's not scared, he thinks it's Eli. He runs to Eli. Eli sleeping inside the Mishkan, Shmuel sleeping outside the Mishkan. The Kohanim have to guard the Mishkan from the inside. The Levi guards the, the Mishkan on the outside. He runs to Eli and he says, Eli, did you call me? And he says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Again, he's sleeping and he hears a voice emanating from inside the Mishkan. The rabbis say the voice came from the Holy of Holies. It came from on top of the Kaporet, which is the covering of the Arun Kodesh between the two cherubs, the two kruvim. That's where Moshe Rabbeinu would get messages from God. Imagine, so he's sleeping outside the Mishkan, Eli's sleeping inside the Mishkan, and he's hearing a voice from God from the Kaporet, from the top of the Kaporet, from the Holy of Holies, and Eli did not hear the voice. So it's like prophecy means you hear things, but you can hear it, but no one else can hear it, unless they're also prophets. And Hashem wants, so Hashem gives very directed messages the only time there was a mass prophecy in our history was at, there was actually twice. Once was at Har Sinai. All the Jews saw, everyone saw. And that Rambam says that's why it is one of the biggest proofs of the truth of Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy is because everyone saw Moshe Rabbeinu getting the Torah at Mount Sinai. They heard, everyone heard the first two commandments. And after that, they said, we can't take this. We can't they take this mass prophecy. We're going to die. We can't take revelation. You know, by the way, uh, the second time this happened was in the time of Eliyahu Nabi, which we're going to talk about, Elijah the prophet at uh, Mount Carmel. 
where he brings fire down from heaven. That's all they saw. They saw fire coming down from heaven, eating up the sacrifice. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about Eliana V. Again, mass revelation, and they all screamed at the top of their voices, Hashem Hu Ha'elokim, Hashem Hu Ha'elokim, which is how we end our Yom Kippur services. We scream, Hashem Hu Ha'elokim, God is God. Seven times, they said it twice. So Mount, uh, Mount Carmel, again, mass revelation. And the, one of our jobs today is to prepare for mass revelation again when Mashiach comes to me again, mass revelation. So that's why it says, you know, I'm going to send you Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet. The rabbi said, what for? To teach us prophecy, to teach us how to be prophets so we could be part of that mass revelation. So Mashiach is going to talk to the Jewish people how to be prophets, be part of the mass revelation. Anyway, here, we have the story again. The voice appears to Shmuel and Avi, little kid. Shmuel, Shmuel, Shmuel goes running to Eli. Eli, did you call me? And Eli says, "I wasn't me." But if you hear the voice again, say, "Speak, Hashem." It's Hashem. Speak to me, Hashem. So Shmuel goes back to bed. He hears the voice. By Hashem and Shmuel, Hashem calls out to Shmuel. By Yomer Hineni, and Shmuel doesn't say, "Speak to me, Hashem." He does the rabbis say he doesn't he doesn't want to use God's name in vain just in case it wasn't Hashem. So he says, Himeni, here I am. He follows the pathways of Abraham Avinu, who said when God spoke to Abraham, he says, Himeni, I'm here. So it's a language Rashi says of Zrizut, being ready to go anytime. When God calls, I'm ready. If I'm sleeping, I'm awake. Shmuel says, Himeni, I'm here. I'm, I'm awake. I'm, I'm awake to do your bidding. So uh, so this happened the three times, and the third time, it was really Hashem. It was Hashem revealed himself to Shmuel. And Be'avo Hashem, he got saved. Be'ikrak, Shmuel, Shmuel, Yom Shmuel, Daber. So this time Shmuel says, Daber, speak. Your servant is listening. Yom Hashem and Shmuel. And Hashem says to Shmuel, now don't forget, this is first prophecy. He's a young boy. I'm going to do something in Israel where anyone who hears what I'm going to do is going to close their ears. They're going to cover their ears with their fingers. This is very tough news. Number one, I'm going to wipe out the house of Eli. I'm going to wipe out the house of Eli. And, uh, and you will be the judge. You're going to be the judge. And his two sons are going to die. This is Hofni and Pinchas. So obviously uh, Shmuel is not going to tell this message to Eli anytime soon. He doesn't want to tell Eli this bad news. And he goes back to sleep. And in the morning, he's busy with like, the job of the Levites doing service in the Mishkan. He has to open the doors of the Mishkan. So at night, the doors of the Mishkan were locked. And he would go in the mornings and open the doors. And then Eli didn't forget. Eli calls out to Shmuel. Shmuel, Bani. Where are you, Shmuel, my son? He says, here I am. What did Hashem tell you? Don't hide from me a single thing. If you hide a single thing from me, I'm going to curse you with ever the bad message is that God wants to say. And the bad message was that his two sons are going to die. And Shmuel told him the message. And Eli says, you know, whatever God does is for the good. Basically, he accepted God's judgment. Now, what's interesting is why didn't Eli pray for God to change the judgment? It says over here because the judgment was accompanied by God's oath. So you can change God's judgment by prayer or by doing teshuva, 
but if it's accompanied by an oath, it cannot be changed. So Hashem swore that the house of Eli is going to be ended. Eli's children are going to follow in his footsteps, and they're going to be wiped out, the sons of Eli. Even though they're going to have progeny, they're all going to die at the age of 20, unless we said they engage in Torah study or acts of kindness. We do find two great rabbis in the Talmud who were descendants of Eli, Abaye and Rava, who lived at the age of 40, one lived at the age of 60. And why? Because one did learn Torah, but the other one learned Torah and did acts of kindness. So by learning Torah and doing acts of kindness, they could prolong their lives. <clears throat> so this is a very important idea. We can also prolong our lives. It's uh, acts of kindness, chesed, acts of kindness, including tzedakah and other kinds of acts of kindness, helping someone, helping anyone, acts of kindness. And learning Torah prolongs a person's life, even those who are meant to die early, even those meant to die early. The time you spend on mitzvot are not included in a person's life. The time a person spends learning Torah, our extra bounty, it's like a person is living on extra time. A person's life spent on chesed is considered extra time. They're not penalized on that time. So that time doesn't count towards their ultimate life. Interesting. So what happens is, Shmuel tells Eli, but nevertheless, it's interesting that Shmuel got this curse from Eli that his sons would also not follow in his footsteps. Even though he told Eli everything, it says a person should know that the curse of a great man will come true, whether it's deserved or not. So, so don't get involved with great people who curse. I don't like people who curse anyway. But normally when a person curses someone, they should say the blessing that God gave to Abraham Avinu, whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever curses you will be cursed. So it's a very important idea that a person should say that straight away. A person wants to curse someone, give him uh, bad uh, news, uh, give him something, put an eye on him. Just say, whoever curses me will be cursed. That's the blessing of our being. Whoever blesses me will be blessed. The curses do not affect us if we believe in God. If we believe in God's blessing to our being, we are protected from all curses. The Iranians keep saying every day, we're going to kill them, we're going to kill them. And we have God's blessing. Hashem should curse those who curse us. You know, that's a very important idea. Let them say it more. Say it more often. Every time they say it, Hashem says, yeah, we're going to see who's going to be the boss. We're going to see, just like Paro says, we're going to kill them. Hashem says, Paro said, maybe they will increase. We're going to throw their children to the water. And Hashem says, you say, maybe they will increase. I say, they will increase. So Hashem is Blesses those who bless us and curses those who curse us. And Shmuel grows big and Hashem is with him. And whatever he said, the prophecy came true. So Shmuel and Navi is getting a reputation. He got a big reputation. People come to the sanctuary, they go to the Mishkan, the Shiloh, and they see this boy. And whatever they ask him, he tells them, he can prophesize, and whatever he says comes true. So he's getting a reputation. Nach says, From Dan to Be'er Sheva, which is Israel in the north to the south, He was a truthful prophet to Hashem. So he gets his reputation. And uh, so this is prophecy, amazing prophecy. Now we find, it continues, it says that there were very few prophets in those days. Hashem, because of the poor spiritual state of the Jews in those days, there were very few prophets. And this is one of the few prophets who was chosen was Shmuel Hanavi, one of the few prophets that was chosen. And uh, so it's interesting 
So the people knew that he was a prophet. He gets this reputation as being a prophet. And what happens next is the Philistines attack. The Philistines attack. The Jews make an army, and the Jews lost terribly, lost 4,000 men. So Jews are wondering, why is this happening to them? Now, why don't they just go back and ask Eli? But instead, they made up a whole thing. We need to bring the Aaron HaKodesh with us. When we, if we fight with the Aaron HaKodesh, with the Holy Ark with us, we're definitely going to beat the Philistines. So they run back to, the, to Shiloh without asking any questions. They grab the Aaron HaKodesh. Who grabs it is the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Pinchas. They take the Aaron HaKodesh, they go him, they, they carry the Aaron HaKodesh into the into the army, the army is thrilled, they start screaming, and they blow the shofar, and the Pelish team gets scared. What happened over here? Why are the Jews celebrating? What's so, what's so going on over there? So they hear rumors, the Jews have brought Aaron HaKodesh, God's Ark, into their camp, and the Pelish team are scared stiff. They're scared stiff of the God of Israel. They know the God of Israel's history. He smashed the Egyptians, and they're scared that they're next on the list. Unfortunately for us, we lost the battle, the next battle, and we lost the ark, and the two sons of Eli were killed. And it says a boy went back, a messenger went back to tell the people in Shiloh what happened. He runs back. The rabbi say this was the next king before he became king. This is Shaul Hamelech. Before he became king, he was the lad that ran back with the bad news. He runs to Shiloh, he tells everyone, we lost the war and we lost the Ark of Hashem. Everyone was completely out of their minds. What well, we lost the war? Okay, it's bad enough. But we also lost the Ark of God. That's impossible. It's crazy. So Shmuel goes to Eli. I'm sorry, Shaul now, this boy. Shaul goes, runs to Eli. And he thinks Eli already knows the news. But Eli is blind. Eli didn't see what was going on. Eli didn't hear the news. And Shaul tells him the news in a very quick, harsh kind of way. And Eli hears the news. He's an old man. He fell back on the chair, it says, and he banged his head and he died. So here we are in the house of Eli, a day following the prophecy of Shmuel. Uh, already the great one's gone. Eli's gone. His two sons are gone. And uh, just then, Eli's uh, grandson was born. And his name, they gave him a name because of the loss of the war, Ekavot. There is no honor to God. So they named the grandson of Eli Ekavod. He was the Eli's line still survived, but from that time on, he was not. He never. He lost the high priesthood. His children, grandchildren, lost the high priesthood. There were no longer high priests in the Mishkan, and we're going to see there's going to be a new high priest. So this is again now who is going to be the new leader? And you guess that Shmuel Hanavi is going to be the leader. He was not a high priest, although it's interesting that he did serve as a priest. He would offer offerings. Um, because the, what happened was the Mishkan also was destroyed by the Pelishtim. There was no Mishkan, there was no temple, there were no priests, uh, high priests were gone. And who was running the show is this boy, Shmuel Hanavi, becomes, grows into this role. No one appointed him, he grew into it. It's interesting, fascinating how Hashem organized this, that Shmuel Hanavi grows into this role without anyone appointing him. And he becomes the next leader of Israel because he was with Eli, who was the leader. And now he is the new leader. And he's acting, even though he's a Levite, he's an acting Kohen, which is very interesting. And we, we have to talk about this because 
this is a very interesting part of the story of Shmuel that says Shmuel Hanavi was a direct descendant of the great Levites Levi Kehat, who was uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, uh, uncle, and Korach. Korach was a cousin of Moshe Rabbeinu. Korach, we all know the revolt of Korach against Moshe's leadership. Korach was, in, was involved in trying to reach a new kind of Judaism, a kind of equality. Why is Moshe the leader and Aaron the high priest? We're all equal in the eyes of God. We should all be priests and all be leaders. And so it's interesting that here is Shmuel Navi. Also, Shmuel Navi continues in this way of doing things, but he grew into it. He didn't do it as a revolution. He did. We're going to talk about how he did it in a very nice way. Eli is out of reach. Eli's gone. Eli's passed away. There's no more high priests. The Mishkan is destroyed. Who is next in line? Shmuel Hanavi. He is not a priest, but he's an acting priest. He's a levy who became an acting priest. This is really this is really Korah's vision now. Korah said, I can't lose. Why can't I lose? Because Korah saw a prophecy with Ruach HaKodesh that he's going to have a descendant called Shmuel HaNavi. And it says about Shmuel HaNavi in Tehillim. David HaMelech talks about Shmuel HaNavi. This is very fascinating. It says, Moshe Be'aron Be'kohanav Ushmuel Be'kore Shemo. This is in Psalm 99. Psalm 99 verse 6. Moshe Aaron Moshe Aaron among God's priests, and Shmuel among those who are calling out in His name. So Shmuel, the Talmud says, is equalized to Moshe and Aaron. So Korah sees this. He said, "Listen, if I have a descendant called Shmuel and Avi who's equal to Moshe and Aaron in certain aspects, I'm going to survive. There's no question I'm going to survive this rebellion." But he didn't survive. His children do teshuva, and his children survive. So his children have children, and one of them was Elkanah, the father of Shmuel and Navi. Shmuel is a descendant, direct descendant of Korach. Interesting. And uh, so, so whatever Korach dreamed about came about in the time of Shmuel and Navi, but not as a revolt, but as growing into a position that Shmuel grew into this position of leadership, whereas Korach wanted to do it by having a revolt against Moshe and Aaron which was totally forbidden, prohibited. They were the leaders of the Jewish people. He's going to wreck the whole Torah line by revolting against Moshe and Aaron. Therefore, Korah got swallowed up by the earth. Interesting. Korah got uh, swallowed up by the earth, where Shmuel is going to do what he, Korah, wanted to do, but not in the same way that Korah wanted to do. Shmuel is going to do it in a very natural way. It's going to come to him. He's not going to do anything. Everything's going to come to him. He is now the judge. He is now the priest. He is now the leader of Am Yisrael. Shmuel Hanavi is now a one-man leader of Am Yisrael, but not like Samson, where Samson fought the war all by himself. Shmuel knows how to get the people together. What is Shmuel's focus? And the answer is education. Shmuel Hanavi's focus was education. He has to raise the spiritual level of the Jewish people from where it was. This is what Devorah was very successful about, we talked about Devorah. Devorah was very successful in teaching the Jewish people and the Torah, teaching them their own history, teaching them their own Masorah, their own traditions. And this is what Shul Hanavi was good at, what he did. He revived Judaism from the ground up. 
Shmuel Hanavi was a, was a, a tremendously good educator. That was his gift. He was a tremendously good educator. He was a tremendously good, he had the power of persuasion. He knew how to communicate with other people. And he also would wander around Israel from the north to the south. He would have a wandering court. You know, people had to go to the Sanhedrin, they had to go to the court. They wouldn't bother, they wouldn't go anywhere, they were lazy. He would go to them. He would go to every single city in Israel and offer offerings and make a banquet. And people would come. Some people say this is the origins of these Hasidish tish. That the Rebbe has a tish, he has this big meal, everyone comes to the meal, they all enjoy the food. And he talks to the Torah. And we see the first person doing that was Shmuel and Navi. He would go around. This is the greatness of Shmuel and Navi. He would go around to Israel, meet the people, um, like the best politicians today. They go around uh, meeting people, shaking hands. But he didn't only shake hands. He also taught them Torah. He taught them the way of God. He taught them the path of God. And he also was a uh, justice system. Everyone would come to them with, his pro- with their problems. And that was his greatness. His greatness was an education, which is really the job of the Levi'im. Now, let's talk a bit about that. We know we have Kohanim, Levi'im, and Israelim, which is called, uh, the first letters make up the word Kiri. Kiri, which means a vessel. So it says that uh, Hashem found a vessel Who's God's vessel? We are his vessel. How are we the vessel? The Kohanim are the Kaf, the Vim are the Lamed, the Israelim are the Yud of Hashem's Kli, Hashem's vessel of bringing spirituality down into this world. And Shmuel and was a Levi, which is interesting because the Levites are not allowed to own agricultural land. The Levites are not allowed to own agricultural land. They had 48 Levitical cities that they lived in. They lived in these cities. Um, and they weren't allowed to own land. Why? Because their main job, apart from serving in the temple, we said the three things they had to do, they had to, they had to guard it, they had to work it by opening the gates and uh, anything else that God needed, and they had to sing the songs in the temple. They had, imagine you go to the Beit HaMikdash and you hear this beautiful music, the music of the Beit HaMikdash, which we have lost today. So they would sing the songs of David Amenek, the songs of David, but they had musical accompaniment, orchestra, that we don't have today. So that's what they had. And Shmuel was meant to do that as well. But the other job, number four, is to teach the Jewish people. They were the wandering teachers of Am Yisrael. The Levites' job was to teach Am Yisrael. And we can see that Am Yisrael was not learning well. The Levim were not doing the job. This is something that Shmuel took upon himself, a one-man educational system. And hopefully he tried to make his sons part of it. But again, they failed terribly. They did not wander around. It's very hard. First, imagine Shmuel would pack his tent, pack his stuff, take everything with him. It says he wouldn't take a single thing from the Jewish people. He wouldn't be supported by the people. He would take his own things wherever he went. One day here, one day there. It must be very tiring. Set up his camp, single-handedly wander around, meet the people, talk to the people, educate the people. Uh, give them food to eat, celebrate, sing with them, dance with them, and uh, be a prophet to them as well. Teach them how to be prophets. And he had his band of prophets with him. It's interesting. That's how he met King Saul um, through meeting him by one of these parties he threw, celebrating Hashem. So this is Shmuel. That was the greatness of Shmuel and Avi. He was a tremendous prophet, and he was an educator. That was his job. He he saw himself as 
main educator of the Jewish people, the main judge of the Jewish people. So there shouldn't be any anarchy. Anyone would have troubles. They had a place to come or they would just wait for him to come to them. Shmuel and Abi was the place to go, just like Moshe Rabbeinu educated the Jews. And 40 years in the desert, Shmuel would go around uh, ministering to them, uh, helping them, answering their questions, predicting the future sometimes. They needed it. He would predict the future. Uh, we're going to come to this great story of Shaul, Shaul HaMelech, uh, who was not a king yet. And he was, he lost his father's donkeys. He was in big trouble with his father. He lost his father's donkeys. They wandered off. In those days, a donkey was like a car. You have no car. You, you have to walk everywhere. Um, donkeys were worth a lot of money. And he lost his father's donkeys. And he was looking all over for his father's donkeys. He didn't know where to go, what to look for. Until he heard, you know, there's a prophet in the other city. Why don't you go to the prophet? I'm sure he knows where your donkeys, your, your father's donkeys are. And that's how he met Shmuel Hanavi. Of course, Shmuel Hanavi says, your donkeys, you're looking for your donkeys, but you're going to be the next king. So interesting. Uh, he told him where his donkeys were, but uh, the donkeys were even found. He was, he was looking for his father's donkeys, and his father was looking for him. So he didn't know, but the prophet knew. So it's interesting to be a prophet. It's a great thing to know what God reveals, information that no one else knows. So the prophet has a great time or a very bad time. If he sees good things happening, he's very happy. If he sees bad things happening, he's very sad. But if he's a good prophet, he can change the future by praying. And he can tell the people to pray. He can tell you to shiva. That's what the good prophets told us. Jeremiah, Isaiah, all these great prophets would tell us to shiva, tell the Jewish people to shiva. Otherwise, you know what happens. Okay, so that's Shmuel Hanavi as a prophet, as a teacher, and he's going to change Judaism forever. He's going to change how Judaism is run forever. We're going to see by appointing a king, by planning a temple in Jerusalem now. We have to know in time of Shmuel, there was no Jerusalem. Jerusalem was under the Jebusites till David Melech conquers it from the Yebusim, from the Jebusites. And then we have to we have to know why we're going to talk about it. We talk about David Amelech. We have great talks of classes coming up on Shaul Amelech, David Amelech. But you can see this greatness of Shmuel, the educator, the judge, the planner. He's planning a whole new future, which involves a monarchy, which involves a new high priest, the line of Tzadok as high priest, as opposed to the line of Eli, which is dying out. The uh, building of the temple in Jerusalem, he sees the future. We're going to build Yerushalayim, the capital city. I'm going to help David plan this new capital city. So he is the one who is fulfilling, really, the dream of Korah. He has Korah's dream. We don't need uh, leadership, which is thrust upon us. We have the power. Every one of us can be a leader. So Shmuel Hanavi became a leader through his own greatness. He was uh, not appointed by anyone who grew into it. And he's going to appoint the king. He's going to be the one to make the city of Jerusalem great. He's the one planning the Beit HaMikdash. He's the one who's going to appoint a new high priest. In the meantime, he is the high priest. He is the judge. He is one man show in terms of leadership. He's the greatest leader, one of the greatest leaders we ever had, Shmuel. Where we have to really appreciate Shmuel and Avi's contribution to making a state out of these loosely knit tribes, these loosely knit tribes, each tribe was for themselves, each man for themselves. He is the one who's going to appoint the king that's going to unify this whole system. 
and make it into one system with one army under God to fight the wars of Israel. And we're going to see how he does that. And that's really what he's about. He's about changing the anarchy of the situation of the judges, each man for themselves. The judges would stay in one place. You come to me. I'm not coming to you. We see this with Pinchas and Yiftach. And uh, Yiftach says, Pinchas should come to me. I'm the judge. And Pinchas says, I'm the high priest. Let, let the judge come to me. Let Yiftach come to me. But that's uh, Shmuel was unique in that respect. He was the judge who went around. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He was the one who educated the Jews. He was the one who is going to build a future, a brand new future for Am Yisrael. He's going to build a brand new future of a monarchy of the United States of Israel. United States of Israel as opposed to a tribal states. Twelve tribes, each one living in their own area, not caring about each other. He's going to mold them into one unit. He's going to mold them with a king. He's going to mold them into one unit. We're going to see that was his dream, that was his vision, and that was his successful. So let's move on to uh, what happened when the Philistines captured the Arona Kodesh. Now, this is interesting. Can you ever capture God's Ark? The answer is, don't try. Don't even bother. Don't even try. Look at the Philistines. They captured God's Ark, and they had nothing but trouble. <laughs> Wherever they put it in their temple uh, next to their idol. And then the next day they walk in, the idol has fallen on its face in front of the ark of God. The second day they put it back up, they put the idol back up. The idol fell down and had its head cut off and its hands cut off, which is what normally people do in those days to their captives. They would cut off his head and cut off his hands as a sign that the guy is dead. So the same thing was done to the idol. Hashem did that to the idol. And it fell, it says, the idol fell on the, on the threshold of the doorway. And so they said, oh, our idol's on the threshold from now on. No one's allowed to walk on that threshold. Uh, so, but they got the message and they got, all got afflicted with the sicknesses and they sent the ark to a different town, Philistine town. The same thing happens. The, the, the thing, uh, their idols fall down and they're all afflicted with some kind of disease and they send it away until they said, finally, we can't take this anymore. We're going to send the ark back to Israel. How are we going to do this? We're going to put it in a cart pulled by two oxen, and that's it. It's going to go back by itself, and that's what happened. The ark went back by itself. Amazing story. The ark goes back by itself. It seems the oxen knew exactly where to go. That's the first GPS. Um, actually, it's not. The first GPS were the clouds of glory and the pillars of fire in the there's 40 years in the desert. The first GPS, God positioning system. That's the best positioning system. And these oxen go back to Israel, to Beit Shemesh. And the people started staring at the ark. And it wasn't very good for them. And so they send it away to a place called Kiryat Yearim, which today is also known as Telstone. That's where the Telz Yeshiva moved, Kiryat Yearim. It's on the hills of Yushalayim. And it stayed there. It's interesting. Shuer Hanabi did not build another Mishkan. He didn't build a new Kohanim to take over and, and look after the ark. The Ark of God doesn't need looking after. It's a very important idea. The Ark of God looks after itself. And Shmuel Hanavi was just waiting for the right time, the right place. So David Melech would bring it to Shalayim and appoint a new Kohen Gadol. That was the right time for the Ark to move back to Yushalayim, to move to Yushalayim. Yushalayim never existed at that time. So Shmuel Hanavi can see the future. He planned for the future. He didn't do rash moves. 
He didn't do any fast, rash moves. He waited for the right time for things to gel. Very interesting, very smart, very looking into the future. Well, he was a prophet, so he could look into the future. He knew exactly what Hashem wanted. The plan for the future was a monarchy, Yushalayim. It's interesting, he died on Kafchet Yar, Shmuel Hanavi, which today is Yom Yerushalayim. Now, you can say that's a coincidence, but he was one of the architects of Yerushalayim. He was the architect of the Beit HaMikdash, and he died on Kafchet Yar, which was celebrated for hundreds of years. Till today, it's now Yom Yerushalayim. It's the date on which the army of Israel conquered Yerushalayim in the Six-Day War from the Jordanians who had conquered it before from, in 48 from us. And they had uh, put all the Jews in the old city into jail and captives. And uh, that's, uh, that's the history. So it's interesting. Yom Yerushalayim Kafchet Yar is the day of the outside of Shmuel Hanavi. What's also interesting is, everyone says today that, that the uh, grave of Shmuel Hanavi is a mountain outside Yerushalayim. It's the highest mountain outside Yerushalayim. It's the first thing when you come to Yerushalayim, towards Yerushalayim, you see is this mountain. Um, and uh, it's called by an Arab name, an Arab village, Nabe Samuel. The prophet Samuel is meant to be buried there. He's buried in a mosque because he wasn't buried in a mosque in the first place. They built the mosque afterwards. But that's based on a legend because it says when the crusaders came to Israel, they, they know that we know that uh, Shmuel lived in a place called Ramah or uh, Ramot, which uh, today Ramot is named after it, but it's, uh, that's not where he lived. And Ramah is outside Yerushalayim. And the, the Egyptians, the, the, we have so many different enemies. When the Crusaders came to Israel, they thought that Samuel was buried in a place called Ramleh. Ramleh. So they went to Ramleh and they conquered Ramleh. And uh, the Jews said, where is Shmuel buried? He said he's buried over here. And Ramleh thought Ram, Ramot is Ramleh. So they actually dug up this grave and they took this body to Shalayim and they buried him in Nebe somewhere. So obviously this is not Samuel the prophet. We don't know where Samuel the prophet is buried. But the legend is that he's buried in this place called Nebe Samuel under the mosque. And uh, very doubtful, very, very doubtful. Although people today will go there. There's a yeshiva there they built in memory of Shmuel Hanavi. But the big, biggest memory of Shmuel Hanavi we have today is the city of Yerushalayim, which was conquered on his yard site, Baruch Hashem, his planning for Yerushalayim, his planning for the Beit HaMikdash. And he sat with David before David became the king and he planned everything with him. So interesting, that's all we owe to Shmuel David. We have this greatest. We see Yerushalayim, it's, it's growing every single day. There's a amount of cranes in Yerushalayim, the building which is going on, it's amazing. It's also very, very expensive, crazy expensive to buy these new apartments in Yerushalayim. But for those who can afford it, boy, it's a great thing to do. Buy a place in Yerushalayim, your the holy city. Uh, what can be better than that? So, Baruch Hashem. So, what happens is the Philistines send back the Aaron. The Aaron is sent back, put by Shmuel and Avi in a place called Kiryat Yarim, till it's finally brought back, which we're going to talk about. David Amelech is the one who brings it into Yerushalayim. But that, that was the battle that we lost. Finally, we win a battle with the Palestine under Shmuel Hanavi. Shmuel Hanavi gets the army together. And he, he gets, uh, he goes, they go and they fight the Palestine and they win this battle. It's one of the first big battles they win against the Philistines. 
just like we, we should win all our battles. They won this battle with Shmuel Navi through the education they got. They are now on a high spiritual level. Hashem is with them. That's the key. Hashem was with them in their battles. And they won this battle and they took back all the cities that the Philistines had conquered from Israel over the, over the centuries. They took them back and that was it. They had no more trouble with the Philistines. And for another 50 years or so till David Amedah came on the scene and beat them again. So beautiful. The Torah tells us the hand of God was on the Philistines the whole days of Shmuel. So we had no more trouble with them. All the cities that they had taken from us were given back. They saved all these cities from the Philistines. And there was peace between the Israelites and the Amorites, the other Canaanites that were left over, and Shmuel Hanavi judged the Jewish people all the days of his life, and he went around from city to city in Israel, judging the people and teaching them. And you judge the people and you build altars to God, offer us offerings and make these big dinners uh, for everyone to come and, and sing with him, hear his Torah, hear his prophecies. And that's the way he encouraged people to keep their heritage and, and bring God back into their lives. Beautiful, beautiful. Now we come to, he's getting old. Everyone gets old. Shmuel is getting old. And he put his sons in his place to be judges of Israel. Oh boy, it's a shame. Children cannot match their parents sometimes. Some children are better than their parents, some children are as good as their parents. But here with these great people, trying Moshe Rabbeinu and his children were not successful. His children did not follow in his steps. They didn't take over. He wanted, this is one of the biggest prayers of, of Moshe Rabbeinu that wasn't answered. He prayed for his sons to take over. And Hashem says, no, they're not gonna take over. This boy, this, this Nar, this lad, who well, is not lad anymore, this uh, Yoshua was an old man already. Uh, he's going to take over and he's going to take over. Why? Because he never left your side. He was always learning from you. He deserves to be a leader. He was learning all the time. And, and just like that, Shmuel also deserved to be the leader. He was with Eli all the time, studying, learning, uh, following his uh, path. And uh, that's what Shmuel's sons apparently lacked. They didn't follow the path of their father. Maybe they didn't spend enough time with their father, observing their father, learning from their father. Plus, when they became judges, they never wandered around Israel. They didn't do any kiruv. So Shmuel Hanavi was one of the greatest, except Devorah also, of kiruv, of drawing people closer to God. A one-man kiruv show. He was a one-man Chabad. He had, a, he had his own Chabad in every town. He would go there every... Uh, Every place opening his own, he had his own little place where he would uh, make meals and food and drinks and prophecy and songs and, and educate people. And that's how he drew people to God. We need, we need that. We need Kiruv. We need someone who will dedicate his life to Kiruv. So we had great rabbis um, going around giving Shuri, this place to that place, that place. That's the way to Kiruv. That's the way to draw people closer. And that was Shulan Nabi. So now what happens is, he says his sons were failures. They took bribes. You know, that's a no-no for a judge to take bribes. And all the Jews gathered to Shmuel. 
That's where we know where he lived. They gathered to Shmuel to Ramata, a place called Ramah, which is a high place, you know, the mountain somewhere. They Omri and they said to him, you are old, and your sons are not going your ways. So we want a king like all the other nations around us. Now, what's very interesting over here is there's a mitzvah in the Torah when the Jews come to Israel to appoint a king. There's three mitzvot Ramam counts when the Jews come into Israel. The first one is to appoint a king. Now, it's interesting is that they never did this. They never, got, they never appointed a king till now. Only now, hundreds of years later, after they come into Israel, they come to Shmuel, saying, we want a king. Now, that's what's interesting is, what motivated them? And the motivation was the problem, because really they should appoint a king. But what the problem was, their motivation says, we want to be like all the other nations around us. So that was their problem. They didn't say, we want a king because that's God's command. If they said, we want a king because God commanded us when we come into Israel to appoint a king, then Shmuel would have had no problem with this. The problem is that they said, number one, they blamed him, they blamed his sons. And number two is they said, we want a king like all the other nations around us. And Shmuel gets very, very upset. He is now, they don't like him anymore. They don't want his sons. And they want a king like other nations around, not to do God's service, not to do the mitzvah of appointing king. But they want to be like the other nations. So we know there's a no-no. Is not to walk in the ways of the idolaters at that time. But that was to do things which today is forbidden to do things which they're doing, which make no rhyme and reason, like modern fashions, which have no rhyme and reason. Suddenly you have a yellow shoelace. Uh, what for? Uh, does a tie better than the other shoelace? No. So why have a yellow shoelace? So it's just a fashion which is arbitrary and has no rhyme or reason, it's not logical, then we're not allowed to follow those fashions. And uh, is having a king of fashion? So if you're having a king because it's fashionable to have a king, it's forbidden. But if it makes logical reason to have a king, or it's a mitzvah to have a king, it's definitely a mitzvah to have a king. So three things, three laws they were commanded when they come to Israel to appoint a king, to fight a malek, which we're going to talk about, and to build the temple. So three laws when the Jews coming to Israel, first was to appoint a king, and the king is meant to do the other two. He is meant to arrange an army, to fight Amalek, and he's meant to rebuild it, to build a temple. So we're going to talk about that in our next class, the appointment of Shaul HaMelech, the first king of Israel. And if we have time, probably David HaMelech as well, we're going to talk about them next. So please join me next week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.